Okay, so Wednesday and Thursday is the first time we get to see all the Democratic uh, presidential candidates in one place. It's their first big job interview uh, in front of everybody, and I think there's just a lot to be t- to be talked about. And what do you think? Yeah, the uh, 26th and 27th of June, this coming week, 20 candidates spread over a two-day period are going to be starting, as you said, the interview process to become the Democratic nominee uh, for the President of the United States in the 2020 election. Uh, It's interesting to me because... since you and I are both sports fans, we've gone through the uh, NFL draft where they talked about who they're going to pick and the value and looking at each individual athlete. We just got done with the NBA draft in terms of looking at the same thing, what they bring to the table, how they go through the uh, sessions and the interviews and then the testing in terms of athletic ability. So here we are on the eve of the beginning of the Democratic nomination for president process. So as we look at all these candidates, the thing that I find most interesting is that there's such not only a wide array of candidates, not only in terms of the diversity of candidates, diversity of age of candidates, gender of candidates, uh, but it's going to be a time for us to really look at what the priority is going to be relative to who we want to be on the ticket for the 2020 presidential election. And that for me becomes the issue. Um, People are talking about who's the front runner, who's polling, who's rising, who's falling. I think we need to look at this differently. And what I mean by that is that the context is not only these drafts of the sports athletes, but the context is this historical period in time where there's obviously a generational change, where the baby boomer generation, my generation, is phasing out relative to the political scene, and your generation is coming into being, is really rising. And with it are new ideas, uh, with it are different attitudes relative to how you succeed relative to policy and what you want to get done. But I think the way we need to look at it is not just who's going to be the presidential candidate, but to me it's going to be a question of who's going to be on the ticket, who's going to be the president and the vice president. And when we look at it that way, we can look at it from a standpoint of looking at this generational change taking place and this being a transition. So whether it's one of the older guys like Bernie or Joe, connected with one of the younger women like Kamala or Elizabeth Warren. I think what's going to win in the election, ultimately, the general election is going to be our ticket. And putting together the ticket is going to be the way to bring together the Democratic Party, the progressives, the liberals, the moderates, and the independents, and actually some of the Republicans. It's going to be a ticket. And the ticket's going to run against one guy, the incumbent president, Donald Trump. I don't care who is the vice president candidate is going to be in, most likely will be Mike Pence. So they won't bring anything new to the table. We can bring a ticket to the table that will be bi-generational, uh, bi-gender, uh, 
a hybrid of different political ideas. And I think that's how we can win. I think the question is, how do you land on that combination, on that ticket, right? Like, do there's one thing to, to think about representation and, and um, but it's a whole not, to me, it's, it's about what's the winning combination. Well, I think the architecture is already there. And when Joe Biden says that he's an Obama-Biden Democrat, rather than saying he's a progressive or he's a moderate or a centrist or whatever label people want to put on it, and then you look at what uh, Elizabeth Warren is putting on the table in terms of ideas, policy ideas, you look at how, as a, a candidate, a rising entity like Kamala Harris. Uh, these other folks that are running, they're really, they're really, I, I think, a, a, a sort of applying for jobs. What I mean by that is that uh, there's no way they're going to be the candidate that's going to rise to the top. But if they do a good showing, I think it could put them in a position of being appointed to certain executive office positions. I mean, a good example of that is Andrew Yang. Uh, seems to be a real thoughtful, I listen to his uh, interviews, real thoughtful, uh, articulate guy, looking at things for the future. Uh, but no way he's going to win on one issue. And when he talks about the other issues beyond this universal, or what he calls the freedom dividend, it's uh, uh, not enough substance and I think substance is going to be a big issue somewhere along the line once people quit chasing around whatever shiny object is out there. And just like the NBA draft, you look at the tape, you look at what they've done in terms of the actual game they've played, the conditions they've played under, how they've improved, how they've looked at weaknesses, improved on those weaknesses to become more valuable in terms of the draft. I don't think you could be president of the United States without enough experience. And outside of Joe Biden and uh, the top senatorial candidates like Bernie, and we really have a lot of debt to pay to Bernie Sanders and that he has really brought issues to the table that has caused really important discussion in this country. And then Elizabeth Warren is doing the same thing. Um, other folks have focused on whether it's going to be the issue of global warming. It's not going to be one issue. And the other thing is that in terms of looking at people's ideas and what they have to say, if you're advocating for something, you advocate from a position. This is my position on Medicare for All. This is my position for the New Green Deal. This is my position. But when you get elected and you govern, you govern from a solution. So it's not a, this is my position. This is the solution that I can bring people together on. And in a democracy, it's the majority that you need to bring people together on. But more than that, because people of color like you and I and so many others have been the minority for a long time. Now we're not anymore. But being the minority makes me sensitive to what the minority has to say. So I want to find out what their thinking is as well. So it's not going to be an absolute democratic socialist solution or an absolute capitalist solution. It's going to be a hybrid solution that serves the best interests of the most people.
So in looking at that, I think this whole issue of the architecture is based upon certain reality. One reality is if you look at who's going to be voting, uh, the women vote is going to be huge. The African-American vote on the Democratic side is always huge. It's going to be in the 90 percentile. They're not going to vote for Trump. Nobody's going to vote for Trump, except for a few outliers. They're just trying to stay in some kind of position of influence in the Republican Party. So the African-American community, I think, is going to be in a position to leverage that ticket. When we get to the point where we really get sorted out and Joe doesn't step on his tongue too much, and we get to where we can really look at who the top candidates are, people can look at leveraging, and I think the African-American political community and our communities of color, candidly, and women, can leverage that if Joe Biden is going to be the top of the ticket, that he has to have a vice presidential candidate like Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren. And so when you look at it that way, the African-American political world is going to talk about their candidates, Kamala and Cory Booker. They're going to get sorted out in terms of where they end up on the spectrum of who's going to be doing well in the primaries as they unfold. The likelihood of them emerging at the top is not there. Uh, them doing well is. So then when all that comes together, the leverage is going to be that, okay, the African-American political vote is going to support Joe Biden if Joe Biden tells them that his vice presidential candidate is going to be Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, somebody in the African-American community that has been really stepping up relative to the political realities of all communities, not just the black community, but all communities. So that's what I mean about the architectures there. People are going to talk about we're going to support Kamala, we're going to support Corey, blah, blah, blah. This issue of reparations is being plopped down in the middle of this, where people stand on reparations, etc. All of this is going to be a part of the debate. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be Joe Biden, the African-American political world, and then their allies in the other communities of color are going to leverage the position of a good showing by a Kamala Harris and say that she should be on the ticket. And that's going to be the winning ticket. Bi-generational, bi-gender, it's going to be diverse, it's going to have old ideas, new ideas. And I think that's what's going to win the day. You talked about a, a, a number of the candidates. Why don't you, let's do not a lightning round, but give me a, you know, a few, a quick take on each of who you consider like the top and top and or noteworthy candidates going into the, the debate. Well, you know, there's been talk about like uh, Beto. I don't know why he didn't run for Senate. We need good candidates that are emerging. He could be in a good position to run for the U.S. Senate. Same thing with uh, Stacey Abrams. Um, she's in a position, I don't know why she doesn't run for U.S. Senate. The U.S. Senate is going to be blocking all the initiatives that the Democrats are going to try to do. And so looking at them relative to getting in positions where they can really have an impact on policy, impact on law, impact on so many things. 
really makes me wonder why they're running for president. I mean, Stacey Abrams hasn't announced yet, but uh, she's talking about it. But she's not doing anything else. That seems to be the case. The other thing is some of these other candidates, like the mayor from uh, North Bend, Indiana, sounds like a good guy. He's very articulate. He hasn't done nothing. You know, it, it takes experience to get this kind of work done because it's a democracy. If you were just going to be a dictator and you think you could go do anything you want, you're wrong. So how you bring other people together, I don't care how good your ideas, your ideas are where you talk about what you want to do, why you want to do it, and a lot of people even saying when. I mean, that's even a part of the Green Deal by such and such a year will have all this or all that. The question in government is how? How do you do it? How do you pay for it? How do you get people on the bandwagon to make sure it gets done? How do you get the vast majority of the people to agree with it? Do you think it's... it's um, do you think because... It's seemingly there's there's not a I mean I think Biden right has the name then the name cachet and obviously being a vice president before but outside of that it seems a pretty a relatively wide open there's you know race you think that comes into play on why they're why they're running because I guess what you're saying is that the more the path that makes more sense for them if they want to potentially be a be president eventually for Stacey Abrams and Beto is to become a, a U.S. senator and, and that would better position themselves to make that next step? I think this whole, it's almost mythology, but this whole thing about anybody can be president and you look at Donald Trump and you got to say, wow, how on the hell did he become president? And you even look at Barack Obama. He didn't have a ton of experience. He wasn't in the U.S. Senate that long. But Barack Obama is something special. I mean, you, you can't just say, well, he did it so I could do it. That's not the case. Right. So in looking at this issue of governing, <coughs> the issue for me is, is experience. And you know I've, I've spent 25 years of my life being an activist advocate, taking positions. And then I've been an elected official for over 25 years. Won as much as I've lost. I've learned probably more from my losing than my winning. But I realize in the process that the key to this whole thing, and this is what I believe people want in a democracy in our country, is they want government to work. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be super uber this or uber that. It just has to goddamn work. Work for the people. And so in that process, the issue of how you get something done, how you get something to work, I mean, just look at government bureaucracy, how difficult it is to make it work. And then you look at some things where it did work. Coming out of the Depression with what Roosevelt did, so forth and so on, some of the things in the emergence of the changing of our country, uh, the Obamacare piece, that's really significant. <clears throat> Some other stuff hasn't worked that much. But how you make something work, 
And the thing about democracy, it's based upon people. And people or human beings are a really interesting group. So that to me is important. What experience do you have making things work, getting things done? Not just ideas, not just aspiration, but getting the damn thing done. I think people, because I think essentially, I mean, there's a lot of factors, right? But Trump getting elected, it just, it just turns into a popularity contest, right? Like, are you popular enough? Can you check enough boxes to get elected? And I think that just opened up a lot of doors. People, you know, people were like, well, there's a, you know, a, why not me type of deal. Um, but do you think that that type of functional knowledge and functional thought process is going to come is going to come out during these these debates? Like, you think like that we'll be able to filter that out as as we go through these these events? I think the debate number, the number of people at the debates, is going to drop off pretty quickly after this first one, and hopefully the Democratic Party does that we got to whittle this down pretty quickly so we can have some meaningful discussion. A debate with 20 people over two nights, you're only going to get so many questions. They're only going to be able to say so many answers. And a lot of it's going to be who's on that night, who's the best, most eloquent, whatever. But I think in terms of looking at this issue, we got to narrow this down quickly so we can really get to the meat of the ideas that they want to put on the table. And tell us how they're going to get it done. How are they going to pay for it? What's going to work? Are we talking about incremental? Are we talking about some huge revolution? That huge revolution ain't going to happen. You know, it's got to be incremental, but it's got to be thoughtful. And it's got to move forward relative to a plan, a strategic plan. And we can do that. You've brought up before one of your big worries is that the in this... um, process that the Democrats are going to cannibalize themselves and are just going to it, it is going to get so nasty and so cutthroat that nobody's going to make it through unscathed and there's always casualties and, and injuries getting through this process but you've you've expressed concern that it's just going to be nobody's going to come out people are going to be so battered coming out that they're not going to we're going to do all the work for Trump well President Obama's already talked about it, uh, a circular firing squad. And what you learn in politics is if you're desperate, you go on the attack, you go negative. I mean, that's sort of a proven approach in traditional electoral politics. If you're desperate and you're trying to claw your way up, you go negative. If people go negative, there's going to be plenty to go negative about everybody. And at the end of the day, if it turns out that we do all the work for Trump that he needs done, and when we get in the general election, people come limping in, and Trump doesn't even have to do any research. He'll have all the negative research done, everything. He'll just have to repeat the most scathing accusations and the most negative commentary relative to the presidential campaign. And uh, I, I am concerned about it. That's why we need to whittle this down so we can get to the real issues. And people can talk about substance, not just superficial things or in soundbite. And that's going to be the problem in the next two days. 
I think a lot of it's just going to be soundbite. So we've kind of touched on on some issues, but what do you think are what do you think are the top issues that they're going to try to tackle over the next over those two days? Well, there's the obvious ones. Whether you're talking about Medicare for all, or you're talking about public option or some form of that for Obamacare, um, there's issues about infrastructure. There's issues about student loans and student debt. There's issue about pharmaceutical costs. Uh, there's a lot of issues related to immigration, which you know the president's going to be harping on. But all of these issues are going to be discussed. What I think the bigger piece is going to be is this whole thing about socialism. That's going to come up, if not by the Democrats themselves. For sure, the Republicans are harping on it already. And this whole thing about Bernie trying to explain what democratic socialism is, that's one thing. And a lot of his discussion is aspirational. But what people have to recognize is that we already have a socialist system and a capitalist system. It's a hybrid system. And the operative word, to me, the operative words aren't socialism or capitalism, economic systems. What the operative word is whether democratic, not capital D, but lowercase d, precedes socialism and capitalism. Capitalism has become dictatorship capitalism, monopoly capitalism. That's why some of the things that Elizabeth Warren is saying, particularly about this new phase we're going into where uh, Amazon and all of these tech firms are having so much control. The whole issue of capitalism has to be democratic, meaning that it has to serve the populace, the people, not just the rich that Bernie talks about. Same thing for socialism. If you don't have democratic socialism, it tends to be government-run socialism, which means then it's run by a single party, like it is in China, and then you got all the problems that come with that. We can't have a system like that. There would be a revolution immediately in terms of the American public. It's a hybrid system. So the socialistic part of it, where we're talking about social programs, social security, unemployment, housing for the poor, all these different programs, they are socialist in terms of generally speaking. But in terms of the economy, <coughs> capitalism, entrepreneurism, people really use their creativity to develop new things, this kind of attitude and spirit is really needed. So if you look at things, it's interesting that the discussion, we can talk about policy, but this whole issue of socialism and capitalism is going to be an interesting debate that's going to be the general backdrop, because for sure in the general election, it's going to come up. Mm. I want to keep talking about issues, but to, in general, to me... We shouldn't be worrying, Democrats shouldn't be worrying about the people that are fear-mongering about socialism. Those guys are, those, those people are already gonna, they're gonna vote for Trump. The ones that are fear, you know, like, you guys are trying to, you know, push, turn us into a, a, a socialist, uh, um, you know, country and things. They're gonna, they're already gonna vote. You know, right, we're not trying to convince them to, we're not trying to flip them. Right. Like so focusing on the folks. that So who's on the fence? Who's on the fence? And then how can we mobilize our, our big bases and get high turnout? Right. Like that's 
So it seems like those two things are, are a little different, but I don't know. I, from a messaging standpoint, I'm like, I don't worry about people that are fear-mongering on that stuff, right? Like, it's like, who, who are we trying to reach? And and how do we maximize their turnout, right? Like, and I think focusing on that isn't gonna be important, right? Like, you can go tit for tat with Trump and MAGA people about that type of stuff. And what is it? It's good for headlines, it's good for, you know, articles and videos and things like that. But in terms of getting voters, like, they're not gonna vote. They're, they weren't gonna vote for you no matter what, right? Well, I, I think that's why. Elizabeth Warren is rising in terms of not only talking about what her ideas are, but she's talking about the how. How are you going to do it? And so we can talk about socialistic programs or the spirit of capitalism or whatever you want to talk about. But the question that I think is going to move people is how we're going to do whatever we're planning to do. That's going to be the key. And this debate and discussion that's going to unfold, uh, I, I agree with you, but the f- red baiting, it used to be called red baiting, where they would throw out something called he's a communist, or we look at the McCarthy era, or different times where people have been afraid of socialism, or people have embraced socialism. In this process, it's going to be a matter of how we're going to do certain programs that are going to effectively help. So, with that, I think the issues that people are going to focus on, if you look at, and and we've talked briefly about the African-American vote, but if you look at the African-American opinion makers, the ones that have the loudest megaphones because of their stature in society and their success, most of them are stone-cold capitalists. You know, and there's nothing wrong. I mean, they, they're saying, wait a minute. We're finally getting to the point where we can take advantage of the system that has held us down this so long, and now you're saying we're not going to do it? No, I don't think that's going to happen. The loudest voices, whether it's entertainment, athletics, business, the issue of capitalism or socialism isn't going to be a debate because people aren't going for socialism. They're going to go for social programs. People want to make their money. They're going to make their money, and and it's deservedly so. You know, if you look at this issue, though, of redistribution of wealth, or everybody constantly saying, well, how are you going to pay for this? We're going to tax the rich. You know, at least Elizabeth Warren is talking about the wealth tax, the 2%, 2 cents on every dollar if you're making $50 million a year, I think, is the threshold. But think about it. There's negotiations for basketball players and football players. They're making almost $50 million a year. You know, a good quarterback's making 30 something dollars, 30 something million dollars a year. So they're going into that class. You know, so I think the discussion of how is going to put people at ease while people are going to try to drum up as much fear and concern is possible. So I, I agree with you. What you're saying is how do we get as many of our people to the polls? I think we need to really look at that, you know, because the voters come out to vote, the Democrats are going to win. But 
I think that was the issue in the last election. They just didn't come out as much as we thought they'd come out for Hillary. You know, it wasn't like the Obama coalition delivered like they did for Obama for two election cycles. And Hillary wasn't Obama. Nobody's Obama. He was a special president, special dude. Um, I mean, Hillary, Hillary had an uphill battle no matter what, right? First legit female candidate, right? I mean, legit in, in quotes, but like that was... And then on top of that, Bill and her likability is not the best. And she just had, it was, a, it was a tough sledding, I think, let alone following Obama. I agree. Being the first woman president is going to be really a rough road. We desperately need it. Because I'd like to see what a woman president would do, how she would think about things how she would resolve, solve other things related to the issues of the day. But you're right, it was tough sledding for her. And all this weird stuff, I mean, I don't think it turned the election, but uh, as much as they're talking about collusion and the Russians, Mm -hmm. the thing that Comey did, the FBI director, that, that was the weirdest thing as far as I was concerned. And the timing of it? Holy moly. The timing was so terrible. You know, um, so I, I don't know the, if there's Russian collusion and they're saying there wasn't, you know, Russians are going to do what the Russians are doing, you know, and the Chinese are going to do what they're going to do. And everybody's going to be messing with the campaigns. We just got to make sure that we control it in terms of the democratic process that's based in our country. I feel like. Like the Trump administration is all about just headlines and fear mongering. And, you know, I think a tangible solutions oriented candidate, just like no BS, like we're I'm not I'm not going to even get into like the back and forth name calling all this stuff that could really resonate with people, especially like the the centrists, right? The folks in the middle that are that were that, you know, people are trying to flip. Right. They know, they know that, you know, there was an opportunity for Trump and for the Republicans to do something in the last four years, right? Like they, they were not being appropriately served under the Obama administration, whether you know that was right or wrong or whatever. But they haven't done nothing has been done, you know. I think significantly for them you know so how if if a person if a candidate came in and was just like you know a plus b equals c this is what we're going after i think that could really resonate yeah the the thing for me is is looking at your generation you know um when they look at their income tax finally last april 15th how did they come out? You know, your group, your friends, most of our friends' children are straight up middle class, very successful. Uh, both, if they're married, people are married, both the husband and wife are working. They're both college educated, both professionals. You know, when they went and got their income tax done, 
how did they come out? Because the whole issue that Trump is going to run on, I mean, he's going to have, like you said, all the scare stuff and immigrant stuff and so forth and so on. But he's going to be running on pocketbook issues. He's going to say, how well have people been doing? You know, did the tax cut affect you positively or negatively? You know, I did the tax cut. How's the economy going? He's taking credit for the economy when it was coming and being positive out of Obama and Biden. You know, we're we're talking about issues, Democrats, you know, okay, we're talking about DACA and the undocumented, really important. We, these are issues we need to talk about. But guess what? They can't vote. The homeless is a big issue now in L.A. in particular, and I'm sure in other parts of the country. Guess what? Most likely they don't vote. You know, you talk about important issues like transgender and LGBTQ. Uh, LGBTQ, they vote. They're very active really a part of the, the modern-day civil rights movement. But arguing over what bathroom people can use, whether or not men who describe themselves and def- identify with the other gender can play in sports, are these the issues we're going to win on? Are we going to win on reparation? It's a really important issue. I don't know why they're throwing it into the mix now. It's going to be a litmus test question for some people. Do you support or don't support? The most loudest voices and the most extreme points of view are going to be out there constantly because everybody's going to look at the most shiny piece that's flying around. Or, And I think ultimately it's going to be something that people are going to be afraid of that we need to have a real good sober discussion on. I would use leverage and say that anybody that's going to be president, if they're Democrats, that in their first year, they take this issue up. Not right now, you know. All I'm saying is the people that we're really talking about and issues that are really important to the Democrats aren't going to win the day. What's going to win the day is working class issues, middle class people. How do they feel about their lives right now? And who's best serving that interest? And when they get into that voting booth or they vote by mail, or however they're going to do it in 2020 in a voting center, or whatever the case may be, when they're all by themselves, filling in those boxes, filling in them circles, what are they going to think? Well, he's an asshole, he's a knucklehead, does all this embarrassing stuff, he doesn't act like a president, we don't like the color of his hair, we don't like the color of his skin. Okay, okay, okay. but. But he's stopping people at the border. But my taxes, I got a better cut this time, better shape. But the economy seems to be doing okay. Well, what about the homeless? Yeah, it's embarrassing. I go downtown and I see these homeless. The homeless represent almost 1% of the L.A. County's population. Yeah, but the homeless, the homeless don't live where we live or where you live or... Right. That's what I'm saying. It's just, it's just when you, when we're driving through the the arts to get to the arts district for a good dinner, we oh my god, this is un, uh, unbelievable. Even even the, right the, quote unquote concentration camps down you know with the with the immigrants right like oh this is you know you see pictures and tell stories and 
audio, you know, audio of crying babies and things like that. But it's so far away, you know. We gotta talk to the middle class. We gotta talk to them about their student debt. How are we gonna deal with that? We gotta talk to them about how they're paying their prescriptions, the copays. Uh, how come it's so damn expensive? How come we're having this drug problem with the middle class or working class people throughout this country and the drugs that they're getting hooked on are made by legitimate drug companies in the United States? Well, now they're making drugs to get people off those drugs and they're getting hooked on those, right? Fentanyl and things like that. And they're charging people for them. Right. These are the issues that I think really going to make... And the other issues are important. They're important, but the, the, the vast majority of what's going to win this election, how do we address them? Just like you said, how do we get them to the poll? I mean, I think that's the thing that the GOP, whether how pers purposeful it is or not, they do a good job of that. They focus on the stuff that's going to get them a win. They focus on the, the issues and the, and the topics that are going to you know, mobilize their people. They know how to push those buttons with their people. And they know how to push the buttons with Democrats, right? They just, I forgot who it was, but they talked about, you know, just, I'm gonna drop this little bomb. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave this right here and people are gonna, uh, you know, with, with the Democrats and they're just gonna, they're just gonna lose it. They know, right? Um, that's, gonna, that's gonna be interesting. I think, why don't we run through, Let's run through like the top, like the five, your thoughts on the five people that you're looking for at, on uh, for these debates. I think Bernie Sanders is really going to be uh, a driving part of the debates because he's going to have ideas. And his ideas have been fermenting for over four years uh, since the last election. So he's going to be a part of the discussion and debate throughout. Joe Biden is as well. If Joe doesn't step on his own tongue, and the crazy thing about Joe Biden is his strength is his weakness, which is so often the case. What I mean by that, his ability to communicate, get close to people, be genuine, unfiltered, potentially is going to make him say these weird things that are going to get him in trouble. <laughs> Same thing with uh, Bernie. You know, the fact that he's talking about democratic socialism and trying to make the case for it, I don't know if he's digging the hole deeper for himself. You know, he's got to talk about the ideas, which brings me to the third person, which is Elizabeth Warren. And Elizabeth Warren, with ideas, is talking about a lot of the how, how she's going to do it, how she's going to pay for it, who she's going to tax. Those kind of things, I think, are going to resonate. The problem is it's going to be a tough one for women. It's just a tough road to hold that women got to come together on, which they may very well do with Elizabeth Warren. The problem with Elizabeth Warren is I think she's got a problem with people of color. She doesn't have any real track record with them that I know of, you know, where people are saying automatically, and this is Bernie's problem too. He's, I mean, the ideas are great. But in terms of really having a real strong support in the African-American community, Latino, Asian, American Indian community, I don't see it. 
I just don't see. Joe has it. Joe has the African-American traditional political powers. They're going to say the right things about Kamala and Corey, but they're all going to be with Joe. And unless he totally trips and falls, they're going to be with him, and then they're going to cut the deal. That's my view. And Kamala Harris is going to be right there around 4th or 5th. And it depends on how well she does in California. California's wide open right now. Um, she's got her luggage as well. When people really start looking at what she's done or what she's not done, I think from there it drops off considerably. Um, I think those are the, the top four. And if you look at the others, potentially people are media darlings for a while. You know, the mayor from North Bend, he'll hold at uh, a single-digit percentile, maybe a little bit more, because the LGBT community is really going to be strong for him for good reason. seems like a thoughtful guy. I wish he would get more experience and work his way through the system so he could potentially really be a, a presidential candidate. He's already starting to lose steam because he doesn't have good positions on stuff. Yeah. You know, he went back because a white policeman killed an African-American. Now, whether it was a case of uh, a bad shooting, well, who knows, but he's got problems with African-Americans. you got to be able to build some kind of Obama coalition in order to win the Democratic nomination. So I, I, I think it's, it's for Cory Booker. I can't figure him out. I mean, he's... He started out being, let's bring everybody together. The Obama, you know, let's not talk about red or blue. Let's talk about purple. And now he's a co-author the, on the Senate side of the reparations bill. Um, and he's coming off as the angry black man toward Joe Biden right now. And I, I don't know if that works. Um, the rest of them, I don't know why they're in it. Other than that, they're uh, looking for a job in the, you know, auditioning for a cabinet position. Well, also the exposure. I mean, you can't, you can't pay enough for the exposure that they're going to get, right? No matter, I mean, if they get a word in or not. But being able to say that you're, you're, you're part of the, the, the presidential um, debate as a candidate. That, that's a good point, because that's thing, this thing about Andrew Yang. He's getting a lot of exposure. Oh, God. I mean, you know, on what other platform is he going to be, become this well-known? I mean, they're talking about they're at some event, a crawfish thing? Yeah, in South Carolina. Yeah. And I was reading an article about it, and um, the article said that he got some of the loudest cheers. <laughs> I don't know, but I think for him and for a lot of those other folks, whether it's getting a cabinet position, it's all about how they leverage it, right? That's fine. Like they, they get in, they get, you know, and then how do you leverage this, right? What is he going to turn this into? He's not going to win. He's not going to be the candidate. But what is, to me, that's like, because I, I was a big fan of hearing what he, you know, what he was talking about. Obviously, there's like there's issues with with the the functionality of it and the actual you know rub, where the rubber hits the road. But like, what is he gonna do with it? To me, that's gonna show like, all right, where you know, what type of prowess do you have? Because he has a lot of opportunity going from nothing, essentially, 
you know, unknown to now. Exactly. And, and he's a thoughtful, smart guy from the interviews I've heard. You know, he's limited in terms of what he's talking about. But what he's talking about, he talks about very well, has thought things out. Uh, there's some good people that are emerging, you know, as credible people. But why don't they be a part of the process and get elected locally, get some experience, get things done, you know, beyond starting your own business? That ain't the same thing as governing in a democracy, you know? So I, I think that's four on the top. It's pretty clear. Uh, I don't see anybody busting through. Uh, not at this point. Do you remember when Obama... His first go around. Do you remember where he what, where he was going into these debates? Well, I was at the Democratic convention in two thousand and four. I believe it was two thousand and four in Boston, and Mark Polito and I were there, and we were walking in the hallway outside the main hall. I don't know where we were going, but we heard the speech from the hall, and we stopped in our tracks and we said, "Who in the hell is that?" and it sounded a little bit like an African-American, but it wasn't Jesse Jackson. But just articulate, bringing people together. So Mark and I pivoted on the ball of our feet, ran back into the hall, the main hall, and it was Senator Obama speaking. Just captivated people, not only because he was eloquent and articulate, but he said the right things at the right time. You know, how to bring people together. Hope. That was his thing. Hope. It was the right thing at the right time. And he was the right messenger. So, you know, you, this is an audition. Uh, it gives you a platform. Uh, what you do with it. Uh, some of these folks have been working in the legislatures or their senators or their congresspeople or they've been governed, whatever the case may be. But I think it's going to boil down to the four. And people are going to start dropping out right after this election, uh, right after this debate. And as I've said, uh, I think the architecture is there for a ticket, not an individual, but a ticket, and not letting whoever emerges as a top candidate and getting the nomination that they get to go out and pick who they want. No, it's got to be a ticket that the Democratic Party is going to get behind. Bi-generational, diverse, bi-gender. It's going to be a, a, a way to win this and bring the whole party together. Nice. Well, I think it'll be really good to catch up after this first debate. We'll see how it goes and um, be good to get your take on uh, how you think it went. Good.